Good morning. Again, I must say, that was a little anemic. Good morning. Good morning. Isn't that better? And the reason we want to say it's a good morning, because it is. And so, uh, again, for me and my wife and two members of my family, my son and grandson, we're delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting us and for being part of that great extended family and for hearing the choir sing more than marvelous, more than wonderful. Uh, that's great. And you have been more than really good friends, been wonderful friends, marvelous friends. And so thank you so very, very much. I'd like to share with you this morning some things about getting ready for Jesus. Christmas is coming, but I would rather say these words, getting ready for Jesus. Black Friday has come and gone, and Black Friday, as you may know, is the Friday immediately after Thanksgiving. Black Friday is the day that many retailers finally use black ink rather than red ink on their accounting books, and if they don't make a profit now, they go out of business. And getting ready for this all-important day has been in the planning stage for a long time. The special sales, the 5 o'clock a.m. store openings, hiring the extra help, attractive store decorations, et cetera, et cetera, are all part of the hectic preparations for the season called Christmas. And of course, Santa is coming. He arrives at my hometown of Moraga on Saturday, November 6th. And I saw a huge Christmas tree lot last Wednesday. The commercials all have a Christmas theme. Christmas music is playing. And many homes in my neighborhood have begun to put up their Christmas decorations. This is the season where everything is supposed to be filled with Jesus where the spotlight is supposed to shine on Jesus. We're supposed to celebrate his coming into the world. And I use the word supposed because the reality is in today's world, the name Jesus is being diminished more and more. We are no longer to pray in the name of Jesus. No one objects when a holy man prays in the name of Vishnu. No one objects when the Buddhist prays in the name of nothingness. No one objects when a Muslim prays in the name of Muhammad. And yet all kinds of objections are raised when someone prays in Jesus' name. And still more objections are raised when a high school valedictorian mentions the name of Jesus at graduation exercises. And why? Why all this hostility with the name Jesus? Why such emotion that is raised when his name is mentioned? I believe that we have lost the sense of who Jesus is. Have we forgotten why he came? Who is this Jesus? Once we've encountered him, you can never go back to business as usual. 
Who is he? Everything, literally everything, hangs on the answer we give to that question, who is he? And this morning I'm highly privileged to think about and remind us all of who this Jesus is and why he came. But I need to ask a question. What are we doing in our lives to get ready for the coming of Jesus? And obviously I mean more than getting a Christmas tree. I mean more than hanging Christmas wreaths or hanging Christmas lights on the eaves of our homes or of making sure that our shopping list is complete. What was it like 2,000 years ago? The people of Israel were in a kind of a spiritual daze just before he came. And if you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And I would like to break into the reading at verse 3. Luke, the author, writes, It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. Now, it happened that while he, Zacharias, was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. And Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the joy of the Lord, to their God. It is he who will go out as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. During the course 
of their history, God had raised up many prophets to speak his message to the people. A prophet would come and say to the people, listen, this is what God wants you to hear. And so sometimes the prophet would remind the people of their sinful behavior. Sometimes the prophet would bring a message of hope. Sometimes the prophet would bring a message of judgment. And sometimes the prophet would speak of a wonderful time to come in the future. The prophets were God's way of speaking to the nation. But as we closely read our Bibles in the New Testament, we discover that Israel had not seen or heard a prophet for about 400 years. No one had come to them with a message from God for a long time. God, it seems, had been silent. And as we read this morning in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 3, we read there that Luke carefully investigated everything from the beginning. And so we ask, the beginning of what? For Luke, the beginning refers to the voice of God speaking once again, and that voice would announce the birth of John the Baptist, whose great mission in life was to help people to get ready to meet Jesus. That's the beginning that Luke is talking about. The rest of the Gospel of Luke, God is speaking through the Lord Jesus Christ. And what I want for us to explore this morning is to see how God went about getting people ready to meet Jesus. And perhaps we might use the same methods today in helping people to meet him. First of all, I want to look at the setting in which God broke through the silence of the past 400 years. And secondly, I want to look at John the Baptist a little bit, a man who would speak to the people about getting ready. And thirdly, I want us to see God's message that he would speak through John the Baptist. The setting. Because there were a lot of priests, the priesthood had been divided into 24 different groups. And in verse 5 of our chapter, we discover that Zechariah was a priest that belonged to a group which had the name of Abijah. And even within this group, there were more priests than there were sacred duties to perform. And so straws were drawn to see who would perform each function. And the offering of incense was regarded as a great privilege. A priest could not offer incense more than once during his lifetime. And some priests never received this privilege. This was the greatest day in Zechariah's life. He had been chosen to offer incense. And from now on, Zechariah would be considered rich and holy because he had been chosen to offer incense. Incense was offered at 9 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the offering of incense came at the same time as the morning and afternoon periods for prayer. And I'd like to give you just a little humorous aside at this point and tell you of my great day when I was offering incense in the service of the Catholic Church. 
All of the, all of us altar boys had conspired against the priest. And I had been chosen to carry out the plan. And the plan was to fill the censer with a lot of extra charcoal and to put on the red hot coals a lot of extra incense. And my job was to wave the incense holder towards the priest and try to engulf him in a huge cloud of incense. And the plan worked perfectly. <laughs> and at the end of the church service, every altar boy on duty was roundly reprimanded, and we deserved a reprimand. Father Bleeker was not too happy with us. Well, getting back to Zechariah, the actual sanctuary of the temple was divided into what is called the holy place, a room roughly 15 feet by 15 feet, and the most holy place, a room of about 15 feet by 30 feet. And the altar of incense was in the holy place next to the veil which divided the sanctuary. The sacred moment finally arrives for Zechariah to place the incense upon the hot coals, causing a fragrant cloud to rise through the ceiling and through an opening outside. And together with the rising incense, fervent prayer from Zechariah would also arise for the redemption and peace of Israel, as well as a prayer that Messiah would come. And outside the sanctuary, the people would see the smoke, and they would lie down prostrate on the ground and pray. It is at this point, following the prayer, that an angel appears to Zechariah. Now, just notice quickly verses 11 and 12, what we read earlier. The angel says in verse 13, your prayer has been heard. The silence of God for 400 years is now broken with the words of the angel of the Lord. And shortly, God would be speaking through John the Baptist, the miracle baby. And finally, God himself would be speaking through God the Son. And as the scripture says, whoever hears his voice will live. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. You and Elizabeth have been praying for a child. Well, you'll have a son, and you will give him the name John. Zechariah, you've been praying for Messiah that he might come. Well, your prayer has been heard. And how wonderful it is that God at last speaks. In these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. And I'm so glad that God has spoken definitively, authoritatively, compassionately, and graciously through his son, the Lord Jesus. He is no ordinary messenger. He is God himself. He is the one who is, who is called in the gospel, the word of God, or 
or the speech of God, the great communicator. Well, what kind of person was John the Baptist? Well, from our text, we understand several things. John the Baptist was a miracle baby. Both of his parents appeared to be to be beyond the time when they could have children. They were old and their biological clock, humanly speaking, had run out. And this reminds me again of the ability of God and also of the grace of God. And I trust any here who has any special needs will remember this. God is able beyond the ability of man. In verse 14, we are told that the birth of John the Baptist would bring joy to his parents as well to many in Israel. What a wonderful description. This little baby would be a bringer of joy. And frankly, I've asked myself that, uh, am I a bringer of joy? And I'd like to ask you, are you a bringer of joy? What kind of persons are we? Are we bringers of joy? John the Baptist brought joy to a lot of people because it was his privilege to introduce people to Jesus. And you remember how on one occasion he said to a group of people, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, our sin. What a wonderful announcement. What a wonderful introduction. Thirdly, verse 15. John the Baptist would be great in the sight of the Lord. Some people are great in their own eyes and sometimes in the, in the sight of a small group of friends. When one is in the sight of God, great, that is what one is in reality. And the way God sees us is the way we really are. And how does God see you? Jesus always linked true greatness with humility. And when we examine John's life, John the Baptist's life, we see a very humble person. He said of himself, I must decrease. He must increase. Fourthly, verse 15, John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. His birth, his power, his inspiration did not come from being popular with the people or the leaders of Israel. It did not come because he had a high IQ. He got his power from the Holy Spirit. John's power source was supernatural. It was from God, the Holy Spirit. From where do we get our spiritual strength? I suggest it's from the same source, the Spirit of God. Lastly, in verse 17, John the Baptist would be like another Elijah. And this verse is a direct reference to the prophecy in the book of Malachi in which Elijah is described as a person who would prepare people to receive the Lord. He would call on people to change their lives. He would announce and introduce Messiah, Jesus, the people. 
So John the Baptist was one who would introduce people and tell them how they were to meet the Lord. That was John's mission. And if you notice the last line in verse 17, he'll get the people ready for God. That's how the message uh, translates that verse. To get the people ready for God. That's quite a mission. What would make people ready for the Lord 2,000 years ago? And what is it that would make people ready for God today? I want you to notice again verse 16, and I want to read this from the message translation. It says, he will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. There were a lot of strays in Israel. There were a lot of backsliders in Israel. There were a lot of indifferent, I don't care, I'm too busy, I don't have time kind of people. You know people like that? I'm just plain too busy, folks. There were some people in Israel who were discouraged by the religious establishment. There were people in Israel who just plain were not interested. And they needed to turn back to their God and be prepared to meet him. Well, John's mission was to go and reclaim these people for God. He was to bring them back so that they would be prepared for the Lord. But what would he say to the people in order to bring them back? What John the Baptist told people was that they needed to get right with God, and the way to do this was to repent. And repent means simply to change. Now, folks, that's real change. Change the way you are behaving. Change the way you're thinking. Be baptized and proclaim publicly your repentance. And because God's Spirit was on John and his message, many people responded and publicly acknowledged their sin and acknowledged the need for change in their lives. And if Jesus were to come back this month, is there anyone here or anyone you know who would not be ready, not prepared? And part of the mission of the church is to bring people back and to help them get ready. And may I suggest that during this time of the year, this Christmas month, we all make an effort to help people get ready to help people prepared for the Lord. Invite them to come to church. Or better, bring them. And you have a great opportunity Friday night. Please don't wait until you have the perfect program here at the church. Trust the Lord for his blessing to be a bringer of joy. Another thing our text tells us that John would do is in verse 17 to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And what does that mean? The message translation puts it like this, to soften the hearts of parents towards their children and kindle 
devout understanding among hardened skeptics. Try to be one that would soften the heart. And it begins with your own heart being softened. That verse, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, suggests the removal of dissension in the homes. It means to see the hearts of parents change, to stop the shame and sin of child neglect, and the message of change that needs to touch families. And the last part of John's mission is in verse 17 also, to turn the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. The disobedient had forsaken God. The disobedient had done their own thing. The disobedient were opposed and contrary to the things of God. And John's mission was to help the disobedient people turn to the wisdom of the righteous. And what is the wisdom of the righteous? The wisdom of the righteous is to have a heart that's open to God. It means to have a heart that is prepared to hear what God has to say through his messengers. It means to have a heart that is penitent and obedient. It means a heart that is willing to acknowledge that it is wrong and sinful and that it needs to be needs the work of God in forgiveness. So John's method in helping the people turn was to point to people to Jesus and to tell people who Jesus was. Jesus is the Lamb of God and he takes away the sin of the world. He emphasized true conversion as the only way for a person to enter the kingdom. Notice again, this is the part of the mission of John the Baptist. If you still have your Bibles open, just look at very quickly Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 77. Zacharias is praying, and he says that you, child, speaking of John the Baptist, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He stressed, as I have already mentioned, that a person needed a change of direction. Are you ready to meet Jesus? Do you need a change in your life? You need to repent. This is a wonderful time of the year to renew your commitment to the Lord and be able to say, Lord, I'm ready because you have made it all possible for me. I'm ready. This is a wonderful time of the year to be a people on a mission like John the Baptist to help people be prepared to meet the Lord. This is mission time. Perhaps there always has been a mission time, but particularly as we approach Christmas and we celebrate the birth of Jesus, this is time to be on a mission to help people be prepared to meet God.
if you're not sure that you are prepared to meet the Lord, I'd like to suggest a prayer. A prayer to the Lord. And perhaps you might want to pray this silently after me. Lord, thank you for bringing me God's message. Lord, I know I need to change. And Lord, help me to change. Lord, I trust you that you have done all that which is necessary for me to come into the kingdom. Lord, I believe. I trust you. Help me to trust you more perfectly. If you have prayed this prayer, I would appreciate you letting me know after the service. I'll stand up here for a little while, and uh, I would like to just give you a word of encouragement and uh, ask the Lord to bless you. Shall we have a closing prayer? Father in heaven, we're so grateful for the many reminders that we have at this time of the year. Reminders that Jesus came into the world 2,000 years ago and that he came for us. He came to love us to love us supremely with the death of Jesus. And Father, we're, we're grateful that you do call us to believe and you do call us to trust. You do call us to repent. You do call us to change. And Father, we thank you that by your spirit you make that possible for us to do. And so, Father in heaven, we pray for each person here. We pray for some, perhaps, who have prayed and told you they are not yet ready to meet you and would like to this morning. And so, Father, we pray that this might be the case. Bless this congregation of your people, Lord, and uh, may we all be engaged in a mission to help people be prepared to meet you. And so, Father, we just say thank you. Dismiss us with your blessing and be with us throughout the day and week. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.